0: I also really recommend if you are here in this place of crippling anxiety to find a therapist right now. It is the time if you're pregnant and you're experiencing this, you don't want to make it worse. And it's a great time to get connected with a therapist. You can go to Postpartum Support International. There is a robust directory of providers.
1: You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesel Teem. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see MommyLaborNurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, I was joined by my good friend and fellow Instagram educator, Dr. Asherina Reem, or you may know her as Psyched Mommy on Instagram. Asherina is a licensed clinical psychologist with a certification in perinatal mental health. She's got like over 500,000 Instagram followers at the time of this recording. Dr. Beam came on the podcast way, way back in episode number three to discuss perinatal mental health. And that is actually one of our most popular episodes to this day. So it only made sense to have her back on the show to share more of her amazing wisdom with us. I put out a call for questions on my Instagram story for this one, and we were able to group questions kind of into three categories to help structure the episode. You'll hear us cover mental health in pregnancy, mental health after birth, and then some mental health like in general kind of questions. I really always learn so much anytime I have the chance to chat with Dr. Reem, and I know that you will too, just in case you missed that episode three. So let's get right into it. I'm so excited to tell you about a pregnancy app that you must, must download to help you ease your journey to motherhood. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you might have discovered that this period in time can create a bit of stress and anxiety, even for the most prepared parents. That's why I'm delighted to tell you about Expectful. Expectful is the mental health app for before, during, and after pregnancy. Seriously, this app has so much for your mental health, and it was designed by a team of perinatal experts, holistic wellness practitioners, and moms who have experienced it all. You simply enter your due date or your baby's birthday and receive weekly, custom content throughout your pregnancy and postpartum journey. Expectful has a broad selection of over 3,000 meditations with unique collections for cycle tracking, IVF, birth and labor prep, nursing and pumping, postpartum depression, and more. And they also have daily live events and Q&As with lactation consultants, nutritionists, pediatric sleep specialists, pelvic floor therapists, and maternal mental health experts. They even include a hypnobirthing course that has received five-star reviews from thousands of moms. With Expectful's free seven-day trial, it's a no-brainer to give it a try. You can find Expectful in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. And if you use the code MLN25OFF, that's MLN250F, either on the app or at expectful.com, you'll get 25% off your annual membership. Go to the app store or expectful.com today to start your free trial. Hi, Osharina, or should I call you Dr. Reem? Dr. Osharina <laughs> Reem is here I with for me work. today. <laughs> <laughs> is here with me today. Ashrian and I are good friends. She was on the podcast episode three, I think was her podcast, her first episode on the pod, of the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. So she was a breakout star when the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast <laughs> was first airing. So I'm so excited to talk to her today. Welcome. Thank you for coming back. If those, you know, those of you who do not know who Dr. Reem is, do you mind giving a little introduction and telling our listeners who you are? Absolutely, thank you for having me. Yeah. I am people call me Dr. Reem. I think because
0: it's easier than Asherina.
1: <laughs> there, <laughs> so, there.
0: I am a licensed clinical psychologist based out of Arizona, and I specialize in perinatal mental health, meaning you know mental health around fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. And I really started to focus on this area after I became a mom myself. I had my son, and I realized, oh my goodness this is not what I expected. Yeah, I am not feeling the way that I anticipated. There's something going on here yeah. that is off. And I was really anxious. I was feeling down. I was irritable and I didn't like the way I felt. So I really pivoted and changed course and have gone full on into this specialty. And this is what I do. This is what I love. Cause my whole goal when I actually started doing this work is like if I'm feeling this way, how many other parents are feeling this way and not talking about it and feeling completely alone? That's exactly how I felt. I remember just feeling like I was the only one. So I just pivoted and here we are.
1: Yeah. Cool. I know. You feel I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's feelings of feeling like you're alone and feeling hopeless that this is like gonna be how I'm feeling for the rest of my life. And Uh, this is just uh, my life now. And it's just an awful, awful feeling. And it's, I feel like it's, you know, I feel like it's, it's get maybe getting more prevalent, but that might not be a bad thing because I feel like it's getting more prevalent because like, we're talking about it more, which is a good thing, you know, uh but as you guys can probably guess, today's episode is going to be talking, we're going to be talking about maternal mental health. I actually put a box out to my audience a week or two ago, just to, just to have you guys submit questions for Dr. Reem. And we got some really, really good questions. So we kind of picked some really good ones. So we're going to talk about mental health during pregnancy, mental health during after birth, postpartum, and then just like some general mental health questions overall, I have a question before we get started. Okay, so you said you pivoted to kind of focus more on maternal mental health after you had your son. What were you doing before that?
0: That's a great question. (laughs) I was working for a really large healthcare system in Arizona and I was working at MD Anderson Cancer Center. So first I started off in eating disorder recovery and I was working in residential care with eating disorder recovery body image. And then I got a great career, it was just the most amazing thing ever. And I landed this career doing health psychology, working a lot with patients with health conditions, whether it was cognitive issues Mm -hmm. or just a number of things. You could, it was kind of like a general psychologist where I was seeing everything in the healthcare. gamut, Anything that you can think of, I was seeing it. So a lot different than what I'm doing now, but I often pull from that stuff from the work that I do now, because it's still people obviously are still having, you know, health issues. They're still having, you know, body image issues. Yeah. So it was a really good experience. And I never thought I would leave that career. That was the mm-hmm. thing. Like before I became a mom, I actually was like, I love what I do. I love this job so much. And then I was like, I don't think I can go back. It's like this weird thing where we, you know, when you become a mom, you're not even sure. Like, how did this happen? How did something like it just changed for me overnight? And it really did.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally hear you. All right, well, let's get into some questions. So this first question we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of go, you know, pregnancy, postpartum, then just like some general questions. So this first one was, I think, one of the most common questions that was submitted. And it's about dealing with fear and anxiety, like how to deal with that during your pregnancy after you've had a miscarriage or a loss. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So this is such a great question because I experienced this when I was pregnant with my son, I had already experienced two miscarriages. So one thing I want to just put out there is that this is hard. And just to know that like what you're dealing with and what you're doing and going through is it's going to be difficult. So knowing that giving yourself some grace, you know, offering some compassion to yourself, like what I'm doing right now is really challenging. The one thing I want to say is you don't want to make it harder for yourself. And we often do this when we're experiencing anxiety by judging ourselves, coming up with really negative statements to share with ourselves. We'll go Googling or asking people, you know, that will just contribute to that anxiety and make it worse. So we want to stay away from that. I did something where I created affirming statements that I said to myself throughout my entire pregnancy. And I would say, today I'm pregnant. And for that, I'm grateful. And I would say that every day I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, today I'm pregnant. I'm so grateful. And that's how I went day by day. And I kind of took it day by day. Like, I don't want to think too far in the future. I don't want to think about, you know, what could happen or what might happen. And I'm just going to focus on the moment I'm in. And that's easier said than done because our brains, especially if we're anxious, will just be you know going all over the place but when you find yourself going to that place of anxiety and like when we say a psychologist or a therapist we say you're shitting all over yourself or you're what ifing you know you yeah. are yeah. when you're doing that you just want to just say oh, okay this is anxiety anxiety i see you i feel you i'm not going to make it worse i see that you're here but you can't stay and that's the part where we're like okay i see you but we're not adding more judgment or more criticism or more negative thinking we're just acknowledging that it exists. I also really recommend if you are here in this place of crippling anxiety to find a therapist right now. It is the time if you're pregnant and you're experiencing this, you don't want to make it worse. And it's a great time to get connected with a therapist. You can go to Postpartum Support International. There is a robust directory of providers. And that way you can get yourself prepared. If you're already experiencing anxiety during pregnancy, the chances are that they will continue postpartum unless you're intervening. So you want to find a provider.
1: Yeah, take a proactive approach if you're starting to feel these feelings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All, all for that, <laughs> for sure. I think that is like a step that a lot of people don't realize that can be taken. You know, that kind of goes into the next question of preventing postpartum depression and anxiety mm-hmm. is that's probably the answer to that question is like, Hey, let's get up with, let's get set up with a therapist before we go into that question though, too. I loved what you said about the affirmations. And I remember that we talked about this in our first, in the first episode that you recorded, and I've done posts on that, given that it to people. And that really, really resonates. It's just, it kind of like slows down your brain a little bit. Okay. You know, it's like, I'm really, okay. If I'm saying this to myself when I'm working, waking up in the morning, I really am able to just take it one day at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Well, okay. So this next question was from a gal and she says, is there any way to prevent postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety? She says, if I had PPD or PPA after one of my other births, will it happen again?
0: This is a question I get a lot too. So it's no wonder that you're getting this question. And yes. So if you had perinatal depression or anxiety, and I do want to make clear that you can experience these symptoms during pregnancy. That's why we were like, we refer to them as perinatal, but it's most frequently talked about as postpartum therapists, we generally know that it can show up at any time. But yes, if you've experienced this before, you are at increased risk. Now, do we know if you're going to experience it 100%? No, we don't. It's just that if you have a history of mental health conditions, or if you have a history of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, that the chances increase. So the good news is that if you have a history, or you know, you've experienced anxiety or depression, you know, like, okay, I need to prepare myself for this. It's kind of like, just an indicator. It's just that, you know, that check engine light that's saying you need to take care of this before you head into postpartum. And I would say again, yes, we said, get connected with a therapist that's specialized in this area. You also, if you've been on medication before, most people will think like, let me discontinue my medication on my own. I absolutely just encourage
1: you not to do that. You eh, want big x x factor <laughs> yes. right like nah, no don't do
0: that and there's a lot you know there's a lot of people that are talking about this like oh it's not safe during pregnancy don't take yeah. it and the truth is that there is a school of psychiatrists perinatal and reproductive psychiatrists that this is what they specialize in and there are medications that have been proven to be lowest risk I don't yeah I use the word safe and yeah that means a lot of different things right. so right. so They know what you can and cannot take, when you can start it, when you should discontinue it. And I would highly encourage people to get connected with a therapist and a prescriber through Postpartum Support International because they are trained and specialized in this area. Another great resource that Postpartum Support International has is that they have a perinatal psychiatric consult line that most people don't know. So if you go to their website and you find you already have a prescriber, maybe you have a psychiatrist, maybe your OB or your PCP are really comfortable with prescribing, they can consult with that psychiatric line, that perinatal psychiatric consult line, and you're speaking to a specialist and they can kind of share your case back and forth and find the best game plan for you. That way you don't have to find a new provider. So that's always a great option. You want to find support, whether it's through a support group or figuring out like, okay, I'm going to need help with X, Y, and Z. Like who are these people that can come alongside me and make my postpartum experience a little smoother. Yeah. And you want to prepare whatever you can ahead of time to like decrease overwhelm. Like I would say like, what are the things that you just don't want to be messing with postpartum? Like whether it's a bill, whether it's your pet,
1: whether it's I don't know, cooking dinner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You've,
0: all the things that you just don't want to be, you know, thinking about, try to take care of what you can ahead of time. One of the biggest things that people might know about, but aren't really planning for is having a plan for sleep because sleep is a yeah. big factor at play here. And it is one of the biggest factors that'll impact mood. It's one of the biggest risk factors for perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. So whether that's like Having a support person step in, like, how are we going to plan for sleep? Uh, We know that babies don't like sleep. Sleep, (laughs) they don't sleep at all. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to manage this? Who's going to step in to help? And it's not always like what we expect. And I'll just share like a little like what I mean. We think like, okay, I'm not going to hire a night nurse. I can't afford that. I am in a partnered relationship. I have a husband. So for me my husband shifted his work schedule and this worked for us at the time. He shifted it to 9.30 start time versus he now works like six in the morning. He Mm -hmm. shifted it to 9.30. So like there was a stretch between 6 a.m. to about like right about 9.30, he works remotely that he would like, I would sleep uninterrupted. And I tell you what, that three hours, that three and a half hours I would get felt like Magic heaven, (laughs) yes, it's like wow, I can do anything. So, obviously, this is what worked for my family. It will not work for everyone's family, but having a plan that does work for your family is everything, yeah. And then, lastly, I will say with preparation or even paying attention, don't be afraid to ask for your blood work to be done. Sometimes Ah. women will have, you know, issues with their thyroid postpartum that they didn't know about. So it's really important to get that checked out because any issues with your thyroid, if it's off, will mimic perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Mm. So you just want to be on the lookout for that and don't be afraid to ask for that. But those are in a nutshell, the best way to prepare.
1: No, I love it. (laughs) Those Those are easy to like understand and take into. And I'll also add to that second point that like, go in with a plan, but know that it might change. And it's okay if it changes.
0: <laughs> because- That's, with everything.
1: Yes. <laughs> everything in with everything. With everything. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. All right. Well, let's talk about this next question. And I'm glad I asked you about your experience before pivoting to perinatal stuff. Because this question is about body dysmorphia and body image issues during pregnancy. This mom was having, you know, just issues with body image. So do you have any advice for her? I will say you're not alone.
0: I actually surveyed my audience maybe last year and over 90% were struggling with their body image and the way that they saw their body. But I will say that not a big percentage of the people that I surveyed said that this started actually before pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this just goes to show you how our culture has really shifted the way that we think about our bodies and value our bodies as they look. So the first thing I always tell my patients is to notice like, when did this start? What was your story of when you started to notice and tune into your body and, you know, whether it was good or bad, like when we started Mm -hmm. judging our bodies, when was that? Mm -hmm. Like I have a story for myself in my brain, you know, really little when he really young, someone said something to me and I started to notice, oh, okay, well, maybe my stomach should be a little smaller than it is, you know? So really paying attention to when that story started, where you started to notice, or judge your body critically because that's important. And then the next thing we want to do, and obviously nothing beats seeing a therapist and doing this work, but if oh, yeah. you're going to be like, if you're going to be doing this yourself, just pay attention to how you talk to yourself in your body. Like, oh, I look gross. You know, these statements that we make have a lasting impact on how we feel about ourselves, how we respond to ourselves. And we really want to get into a practice of shifting our self-talk. This is hard work because our self-talk is rooted in our early life. The way that we view ourselves, all of the messages we received about ourselves. And we want to take it from a place to how do I shift this negative self-talk to neutral self-talk? One might think that we're going to shift it from like negative to positive and just go from like, my body is beautiful. I love it so much. That's a big jump, you know, and it doesn't always feel authentic Mm -hmm. to go from like, I feel gross or look at these nasty stretch marks. To jump to like, my body is a temple and I love it. It's beautiful. That's really hard, right? Yeah. That's hard work. So we want to just take our negative statements and make them neutral. My body has stretch marks. This is different for me. You know, that's just, I can handle that, right? Yeah. That sounds like, okay, I can work with that. But it doesn't add that negative judgment to our bodies. And we want to shift from negative to neutral. And you get to a point where maybe you can have more appreciation, but that takes time. Mm-hmm. You also really want to set boundaries with what you consume. This will definitely exacerbate your body image issues. If you have, you know, whether it's what you see on social media, what mm-hmm. you see on TV, what you're talking about with other people, you really want to set good boundaries. And then you want to get to a practice of developing like body gratitude. You know, I'm so thankful for my body. I remember I had this moment when I was in graduate school where I'd go for a walk and I'd say, I'm so thankful for my body for walking. Being able to walk without pain today. I'm so thankful for that. You know, thank you body. And just getting in the, with the little, whatever little piece of gratitude that you can offer yourself will be really helpful. And then obviously therapy, I will say, if you get on psychology today, this is a great directory that you can really plug in what you're looking for. If it's help with body image, your insurance, if you have insurance, as well as your location, and you can filter through providers that specialize in this area. And that's often helpful as well.
1: Yeah, just cool. Different. No, that's good to know. That's good to know. And we'll obviously put that one in along with postpartum. It's postpartumsupport.net, right? Is yes. the other one that postpartum. we Postpartum.net. Postpartum. Postpartum. That's what I thought. I didn't think there was this, I know offer offers support, but yeah, postpartum.net. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. We'll put both those links in the show notes too, for people to check those out. But yeah, that's good advice because that's kind of how I found my therapist is I just, You just can really go on there and filter out, hey, I don't, I want this type of therapist. I want, I don't want this type of therapist. I have these types of issues. And they'll really get you in with somebody that's super specialized, which is really helpful. I didn't realize that you could put your, insurance information in there as Mm -hmm. well. And that's, that's really helpful too. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, let's move on to mental health after birth. So after you've had baby, there can be some things that really change, right? Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of these things kind of stem from, well, probably stem even prior to pregnancy but stem you know during pregnancy but there's a lot of things that can come up after you have baby as well so this mom said my mother-in-law is a huge poor mother-in-law sometimes you know mother-in-laws get bad raps I'm a contributor to that I'm sorry sometimes I do the bad (laughs) mother-in-law but mother-in-laws unfortunately get a bad rap sometimes Mm -hmm. sorry mother-in-laws I have a really great mother-in-law but (laughs) some people don't Yeah, yeah there you go (laughs) So this mom says, my mother-in-law is a huge source of anxiety for me as a first time mom. I constantly feel like I'm just the middleman in the situation. Like I don't matter, just my baby and my husband. Ordinarily, I love her. How do I cope? I'm going to give her a hug.
0: I know. And in this situation, what I'm hearing is ordinarily, I love her. Yeah. So something shifted postpartum. And I would, so it sounds like this mother in law is open to having a conversation. You know, if you have, sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. If you have good rapport or you feel like you have that foundation where you can have a conversation, I would highly encourage having that conversation and saying, you know, this is what I've been noticing. You know, I have a really good relationship with you. But since we've had our baby, I'm noticing that this is, and you would, I would describe the scenario, like, not like I feel like I don't matter because what does that look like? What does that mean? You know, how do you feel that in what scenario, what situation where you feel like you are not that important to her. And then that gives her an opportunity to respond and say, Oh my goodness. Like whether I did not know, I had no clue or I will try to do better or, Hey, this is what my thoughts are on this whole scenario. And you can really create that dialogue. What I find is so often we feel uncomfortable sharing these experiences with the people that are around us. So we go on feeling it and develop resentment. We never give them feedback. Yeah. Or we feel like I'm giving feedback and it's not being respected, but the feedback isn't clear. So there's just some things that we talk about when we talk about like, how do I share feedback with people? You want to describe your positive need and you want to really talk about your own experience. How does this impact you? What is your positive need? We don't really want to talk about like all of the ways people suck in our lives. Like, hey, you're not doing X, Y, and Z. You know, you suck at all these things. How can we make this different? Because people are going to respond defensively, right? They're going to be like, "What? Oh, okay. Well, guess what I think about you." We really want to share from the the place of, "Hey, this is what I'm noticing. This is my take on it. And I was wondering if you could do these things because it would be really helpful for me, and it would make me feel seen." That's like the go-to, how we provide positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I kind of took away from this is that when this person said, like, I don't matter. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I wonder in this particular situation is to make sure that you matter to yourself. You know, how are you Mm -hmm. prioritizing yourself?
1: Mm -hmm. And when we
0: do that and we really prioritize ourselves, I think I'm not saying that the way that people treat us does not impact us, but it has that less of a sting because we are taking care of ourselves so well and we are prioritizing ourselves and we are advocating for ourselves. So Mm -hmm. that would be the short answer.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I have Ryland's cold, unfortunately. And I think I also got it. I was traveling this weekend and I feel like it's allergies with still the pollen is here in the south and just everything and i'm like i feel my cough coming on <laughs> totally get it <laughs> all right the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of birth it up babies this gal says howdy my birth it up story. This was my second birth. My first, I had only taken the birthing class the hospital put on. It was helpful, obviously, but much shorter and less informative. I had an epidural with my first when I really didn't want to. My second, I was determined. I bought your class as a second time mom and I did it. A non-medicated birth. Love it. I was in a much better mindset this time. I had the tools I needed and I did it. Oh, you can just tell Flick, she's so proud of herself. My nurse told me after that I was the first delivery where the mom wanted to go unmedicated and did. She was very impressed. We believe we're done having kids, but I still plan on following you just because you're so entertaining. All oh, thanks. I mean, I think I'm Sometimes entertaining, <laughs> maybe not all of the time, but thanks. <laughs> Plus, I might learn some more from you to pass on to friends as they approach birth. Thanks for being awesome and creating this fantastic platform. You were born to hold this platform and grow it. Oh, see, this is the first time I'm reading this message, too. Like, oh, that is so sweet. I love you guys. I just, I love the podcast. I love connecting with you guys on Instagram. And, Oh, see, like I get teary eyed when I start reading these sometimes. All right, everyone. I want to take a moment and talk a little more about our sponsor on today's episode. They are called expectful expectful is the mental health app for motherhood. Whether you are trying to conceive, currently pregnant, you're preparing for labor, already have an infant or even older kids. Expectful also has content just for birthing people who have experienced a miscarriage or child loss. They really do offer something for everyone here at MLN we know that pregnancy and birth come with a lot of what ifs and when mamas aren't sure what to expect, they often enter labor and delivery, feeling anxious and unsure, but that doesn't have to be your story. From videos to live event classes to wellness services like sleep coaches, nutritionists, fertility coaches, and more, you can use Expectful to find support for wherever you are in your journey to motherhood. And I don't just mean something you get on once or twice and don't use. No, I mean truly anxiety-reducing, stress-lowering support. Expectful is actually scientifically back and has been studied in the Journal of Midwifery and Journal of Perinatology. I actually personally used the Expectful app during my last pregnancy with Ryland. I had some really, really, really horrible pregnancy insomnia, and honestly, listening to a guided meditation on their app was one of the only things that helped me get back to sleep in the middle of the night, and we all know how critical sleep is for pregnancy. <laughs> but the one thing I really love about this app is that it provides a non-pharmacological low-cost solution for reducing prenatal and postpartum stress. Their regular subscription is $69.99 for an entire year, and they're HSA and FSA covered, if you have it, but we do have a special code for you today that I'm going to give you in just a second. So keep listening. All right, so one last thing, Expectful was actually awarded Best Pregnancy Meditation App by The Bump. And you all know that I love The Bump. (laughs) And there is a reason why Expectful has a 4.8 star rating with over 3,000 reviews on the App Store. It's because this app is simply invaluable during pregnancy. With Expectful's free seven-day trial, it's a no-brainer to give it a try. You can find Expectful in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. And if you use the code MLN25OFF, either on the app or at expectful.com, you'll get 25% off your annual membership. That takes the price down to just $4.37 a month. Go to the App Store or expectful.com today to start your free trial. So this next mom is talking about intrusive thoughts. And Mm -hmm. this question is about like, how do you navigate those? First of all, I'm having scary thoughts in the early days and months postpartum. These thoughts feel really, really real. And this question also came up a whole lot. And so Mm -hmm. let's first, if someone doesn't know like what an intrusive thought is, I know like before I learned that intrusive thoughts were actually a thing. I didn't know that they had even a name.
0: Mm-hmm. You just experience it, and you're like, "I just oh. you just
1: experience it, and you're like, Whoa, I actually don't want to take this, pick up this knife, and like cut something, you know, stab myself or something." But that is an intrusive thought. You know, I don't want. To, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's an intrusive thought, and they're really, really scary. And this person is saying, a lot of people have this question of like, I'm having these crazy, scary, intrusive thoughts, and they feel really, really real. Like, uh, help. So this is really
0: important, and the reason why. This is a great question is because about 90, some researchers have, have suggested that about 91% of parents will experience these intrusive yeah. thoughts. So yeah. the fact that like I'm worried about this, nearly all parents are experiencing this. And what scary thoughts are, is there are these scary, repetitive, intrusive thoughts that are unwanted that show up and they're about harm coming to you or harm coming to the baby And they are what we call ego dystonic, meaning it's actually uncharacteristic of you that you wouldn't actually act on this stuff. You wouldn't want to or desire to do these things, but these thoughts are coming into your, like basically like they pop into your brain, like a movie and you're seeing something (laughs) terrible happen. Yeah, I remember having one of these thoughts when my son was younger, my husband dropped me off and not to like be triggering here, sharing a scary thought but I remember he dropped me off to do this workout and I was at the gym and I was getting my like 45 minutes of me time. And I'm like on my, doing my workout. And I just had this thought of something terrible happening to them as they drove off. And it would just, it kept repeating in my brain. And I was like, why won't this go away? This is supposed to be my me time. You know, this is supposed to be my, my, my self-care time. And so these are occur in nearly all parents. And so that's the one piece it's like, okay, I'm not alone. This is a very common experience. The one thing that we tell parents to do and any therapist that's doing this work will say that we want to separate fact from fear. Mm
1: -hmm. And we want
0: to remind ourselves that feelings are not facts. And just because you have a feeling or a thought that something will happen, it doesn't mean that it will. And in fact, parents that experience these intrusive thoughts are not likely to act on them. If it's what, well, like we said, ego dystonic, it's not yeah. according to your values. It's not something that you want to do or desire to do. It's just a very fearful thought. And when you think about like, why are we having these thoughts? We're wired to protect our children. And yeah. when we become parents, it's like, I have this overload of that protectivity. You know, it's like, okay, what are all of the potential things that could go wrong. And I've got to think them because I've got to protect my child at all costs. So I've got to be cautious of drivers on the road. I've got to be cautious of everything that's in my house that could be harmful. I could be, you know, so our brains are in overdrive with that fear about something bad happening to our children. One thing that's really important to get into is like the practice of mindfulness where you're noticing things without judgment. Mm. If you're not familiar with this, there's mindfulness, practice. you can Google mindfulness and a ton of things will show up, yeah. but you can go to like YouTube mindfulness videos, or if you want more resources, you can, you can contact me regarding mindfulness. You can distract yourself, whether that's with music or being outdoors with an activity, a crossword, whatever works to distract you. And again, again, I'm going to like hammer this in is like improving sleep because mm-hmm. sleep is yeah. poor sleep will raise your risk of experiencing these and it'll make it worse and sharing it, share this with somebody you trust, whether it's a friend, whether it's a support group, a therapist, your partner, whoever it is, because the the chances are, is that when you share this, you're, you're decreasing shame and you become vulnerable. And that person will likely because we're saying how many of these parents are experiencing it will say, Oh my gosh, me too. Guess what? I had these thoughts as well. And that really allows us to connect with people and feel less alone, which is really important.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I know that's exactly how I felt when I started describing, I'll go back to the knife situation. (laughs) Like I'm telling my therapist, it felt good just to tell her that I was having these thoughts and her to be like okay it's okay a lot of people have these thoughts it doesn't mean that they're it's gonna happen you don't want to like hurt your child right mm-hmm. Liesl no of course not you're just having these thoughts and you know everyone has these thoughts unfortunately but yeah it's really scary when you're hap- when you're having them because then as you start to think wait a second like why am I even having these thoughts? Like, I know I don't want to pick up this knife and like stab myself, but like, Mm -hmm. ah, like why is this even happening? So it's, yeah, just verbalizing for me, at least just verbalizing them to my therapist helped to decrease them like so, so much. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. It's like, it gets rid of the shame. Like, I think I was worried if I told someone about these intrusive thoughts, they were going to be like, what? you're nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we're going like,
0: hospitalize you or take yeah. your child away. Like you're really good. If these are honestly valid points. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So very, very. I good will point. add something about that. Yeah. Is if these thoughts kind of get out of control and then they yeah. develop into compulsions where you are feeling the need to do a number of behaviors to really put, you know,
1: eliminate them.
0: Yes. It's time you need to seek help. It's the best thing because there are therapists that are trained in perinatal OCD, which is what we're talking about. You're having these intrusive thoughts, but then now you're acting on them by like, and examples are, you know, washing, cleaning, because you want to eliminate all germs or any contamination, whether it's checking, checking repeatedly on your child, whatever the behavior is that's reducing that anxiety associated with the intrusive thought Now we are, you know, really talking about perinatal OCD, which we want to talk to a therapist about.
1: Yeah. And that is a thing. Oh my goodness. Like I remember this is something that once I started on my medication, I have a nice little combo right now that I've been taking, which isn't great for me. But Mm -hmm. before that, yeah, that was something that I got diagnosed with of like, wait a second. And she explained it like this. She was like, okay, you're having these thoughts and then you're doing these behaviors And it's like, okay, the behaviors aren't going to solve the crazy thoughts. And it's like wires are kind of getting crossed. Like, I'm thinking that if I do these behaviors enough, then it's going to make these thoughts go away and it's like no not really you know but yeah it's really really scary and I was never like a like a light I I didn't have it really bad in terms of like where I had to constantly clean things but yeah it's like I would like for example I would um, go to like throw away a piece of trash or something and I would like miss the trash can And I would think if I don't pick that right up right now, my child is going to like die in the middle of the night. And I'm like starting to walk away. And then I'm like, I have to go back and pick it up, you know? And then it's like, Mm -hmm. wait, is it, you know, and it's like that it's a weird thought process. But once I started getting with my therapist and talking to her about these thoughts and also with medication, it helped to not only decrease the thoughts, but I was able to recognize that like, okay, maybe I'm still having some of these thoughts, but like, I don't, have to do these behaviors, you know yeah, you, can just you, can you can dismiss them. you can dismiss them mm-hmm. right right exactly. But it's scary when it's happening It it's is very scary
0: because why I must be the only one. No one yeah. has ta- no one told me this when I was pregnant. no one was like, hey, yep. guess what? You might be having these thoughts, you know so you're yeah. like, no one has ever told me this.
1: yeah, and then yeah. you feel alone. Oh my gosh, so scary. Well, let's talk about some best ways. This mom is asking just general best ways to manage postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, and panic attacks without medication. I know that there's a lot of them out there. I mean, medication is a great option for some people, but others you know, it's really not. So do you have any advice for this mom? This one also came up a lot. A lot of people were asking like, what are some kind of coping mechanisms? I know probably your first thing is going to say, Hey, let's get with a the therapist, <laughs> go to postpartum.net and uh, click, click, right? <laughs> Every time people ask
0: me this, I'm like, Hmm, you know what I do? I'm kidding. Well, this is, so this is the thing when I work with my clients, when I work with patients, the first thing where they're there for therapy. And I think people don't recognize the impact that talk therapy can have. And we're not just like chatting. We're not just talking. We're not like, just like, okay, how was your day? Tell me about it. And that's it. We are utilizing evidence-based scales, meaning they're rooted in science and in research to help you overcome the experience that you're having. So, and this is tailored to people Dependent on their situation. So like we would treat anxiety different than we would treat depression, then we would treat, you know, panic attacks. There is like a style and a form of therapy that's going to work best with pretty much any experience. So this is hard. You know, when we're looking at like any of the anxiety disorders, we're thinking this, this is my, I'm keyed up and I'm up. Like my body feels like it's on edge all the time. I can't relax. That's like what we think of anxiety. And then depression is like that lower mood typically. It's like I just feel lethargic, I don't have the energy. So what are we doing in therapy? We're looking at skills to regulate your nervous system. If you have an anxiety disorder or a panic disorder, we're finding ways to really calm your body because it's kind of wired to be oversensitive to the stimuli in this environment. It's overestimating the threat in your environment. So we are looking for skills to calm your body. We are looking for ways to really change and rewire your brain and how you think and the way that you see the world. So that you can you know, be a really good advocate for yourself and say like, okay, anxiety, I see you. This is like, I'm telling myself, this is scary, but it, maybe it's not so scary.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: if I try it this way? You know, so we're really trying to teach you the skills to work through and walk through anxiety and any of the anxiety disorders together. With depression, it's a little bit different. So we are trying to activate you in a good way. So we are trying to use some behavioral activation skills mm-hmm. to get you to do things that you wouldn't feel like doing because you're feeling depressed. And you pair that with some, you know, changing of the thoughts. We try to give you some skills. And sometimes it is like, okay, are you moving your body? Physical activity, like one of the most underutilized skills that we have. And when we talk about stress, exercise and physical activity is probably the go-to there because it really resolves that burden of stress in our body that we need to do. So exercise, sleep, you know, connecting with people we've over, we underestimate the power of connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that's why we feel isolated. So there's a number of things that you can do in your environment. Obviously it's like, you know, can I eat better? Can I move my body? Can I connect with people? Can I sleep better? These are all skills, but talking to a therapist is so important because they're going to find you, your tailored plan just for you. Like Like not like some, yes, exactly. Like, okay. Let me take all this information about your upbringing, your life, how this postpartum experiences have been, what kind of supports do you have, what do you have access to, and let's think of a plan specific for you. And that's what makes it so powerful. So I would highly encourage people to know that therapy on its own can be one of the most effective tools to reduce your experience with perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and really reduce your chances of relapse or having those symptoms again and again and again. So I would highly encourage. That's a shout out to therapy.
1: <laughs> shout out to the therapy. Shout out to the therapists. Love it. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to something that we haven't, I don't think we talked about this in our first episode and I haven't talked about this whole lot on my platform a little bit here and there, but this is something that also happens. And a lot of times when it's happening to you, you're like thinking that you are the only one very mm-hmm. similar to a lot of these things, right? But <laughs> let's talk about postpartum rage. What is postpartum rage? A lot of people asked about this and just had curiosity, you know, kind of around the subject. So can you enlighten us? Totally. <laughs> this is a great question. <laughs> it's another one of those that people will experience.
0: And this one is really rooted in so much shame There's so much shame yeah. surrounding rage. Because when we think about what a mother is quote unquote supposed to be like. We think of the mom that's, you know, that ideal mother, she's gentle, she's nurturing, she's kind. She's got loads of patience. She can do everything and anything. What we don't think of is a mom that's angry, right? We're not like, oh, I'm rage filled and I'm angry. Like, who am I going to tell? If I tell anybody, they're going to think I'm a monster. So postpartum rage, perinatal rage is this experience where you're feeling more irritable and angry. So it's a there's a spectrum, right? From annoyance, irritability to rage and fury. It's really the feelings can kind of land anywhere there, but it's out of proportion to the scenario. And like, maybe your partner leaves a dish out or maybe you trip on something in your house and now you're like just yelling or losing it. And you're like, gosh, this is uncharacteristic of me. This wouldn't normally upset me. Why am I so upset all the time? Or I just wake up so angry. One thing to note is that postpartum rage, perinatal rage can be a symptom of depression or anxiety. And it often is. We often see this show up as, you know, kind of under the umbrella of anxiety or depression. So it's really important to know, like, is that what I'm experiencing? And is this what's showing up for me? One of the common things that shows up for the moms that I work with is that one of the biggest rage triggers is like lack of sleep, but also like when their child skips a nap, anything related to sleep is such a big pick trigger and it was a huge trigger for me. It was like I experienced this myself and I remember this day like it was yesterday. I was doing all of the things that they tell you to do, you know, like the five S's, doing them all. Yep. My bad. Am I about to break my back, try to shush this kid and sway him, swing him. And he wasn't sleeping and he was a newborn, did not like sleep. I'm not kidding when I say this. And I'm like laying him in his bassinet and I'm crying. And I'm like, he's crying and I'm crying. And I like walked out of his room and I I closed the door, left him in his bassinet for a minute. And I screamed and my husband was working remotely. And he was like,
1: what the- are you yeah. okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm
0: like, yeah. No, I'm not okay. Aww. You know, it was like overcome with this anger. And then the shame, it was like yeah. flooded over me. like what? Kind, yes. Yeah. Like what kind of mom does this? You know, what kind of mom feels this? And I will say that postpartum depression doesn't always show up as depression. There is such a thing as an irritable depression that shows up. And this is an experience I cannot tell you how many parents experience this and you are not alone. I was experiencing this. I'm a psychologist. You know, this is like, I was like, this is crazy. How did I not know this? Why am I feeling this? So one thing I will say is that if you are experiencing this, you're not alone and it can get better. And I talk about this topic in depth and like, honestly, on my website PsychMommy.com, I have blogs on pretty much every topic we've covered today that are going to be great resources with tips, tools, where to go, what to do. So that's always something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely link your website as well. Cause I know you guys, you have a lot of goodness over there for, for people who are struggling. Yeah, I know. I was the same way. I remember had a similar episode where I had, it was like the, I was um, nursing Ryland and he was a really, the kind of baby that got really distracted. So I had to be in the dark with him and I had told Walter to you know, stay downstairs with dad, you know what? And of course he came up and he's like trying to, and I just, that little thing, you know, I think I was already having issues with him, like getting him settled. And then like, he came in and that just like totally set me off. And I just scream. Mm-hmm. And it's like exactly what you said. I screamed and I immediately felt the, you know, like, Oh, I feel like a horrible person. I just like screamed at my child, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, but yeah, you're right. It's, you're not alone. Like, It means that there's something, you know, going on, but you're not alone. And it really feels crappy when it happens.
0: Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, who wants to, and I think about it, like who wants to feel this way? I I don't, I didn't set out to feel this way. If I had to sign myself up for something, it wasn't going to be that I was going to be angry.
1: Right. No, thanks. (laughs) Can I take that off of the the checklist, please? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's do one more question about like postpartum stuff. So this comes up a lot too. Especially with moms who are at that kind of like three, two, three week, you know, mark, or even like the first few days after birth, they're wondering what is the difference between these feelings that I'm having? Is this postpartum depression or is this just baby blues? Yes, such a great question because yeah. these get
0: confused, and I will see people using them interchangeably, and obviously with good intention, but I always cringe a little because there is a very distinct difference. Mm -hmm. We are looking at three different things. When we're thinking about postpartum depression, baby blues, we look at onset duration and severity. You know, when did this start? How long did it last? And how severe is this? So when we look at baby blues, it's experienced by 60 to 80% of new moms. That's like what we see in the research. It's onset is in those first couple of days postpartum. We'll see the onset of baby blues and it'll last maybe two to three weeks. I mean, obviously when it hits three weeks and it doesn't disappear, it's not like we're like, Oh, okay. So,
1: no, it's You're not playing. baby blues. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we
0: really, it's kind of like, these are estimates that we're giving, right? Few days, postpartum, few weeks, and it'll typically resolve on its own. We think it's due to that massive shift in hormones that occurs after, you know, you have a baby and your body is adjusting to this. It's usually mild in nature. You're generally still happy most of the time, but you will notice like you're more a little more weepy, you might be a little bit sad, you might have a hard time. It's not a psychiatric condition and it should resolve on its own within those first few weeks postpartum.
1: Okay.
0: Now, if you are beyond that, we're looking at postpartum depression. So, this is what we are thinking of when we're thinking of depression can occur anytime during pregnancy and the onset, it can start anytime during that first year postpartum. And I will say it might start that first year postpartum, but it can last sometimes several years postpartum. We're seeing in the research that they followed up with moms who've had severe depression And at three years postpartum, they're still having symptoms. Some of the moms are still having symptoms. So I always get that question. I want to add that.
1: Mm.
0: So it's far more severe. It's usually pervasive, meaning it will impact pretty much all aspects of your life. And it's not always sad or tearful. Like I said, sometimes it is. Sometimes you're feeling more sad and tearful. Sometimes you're feeling more irritable and angry, but it's not only like people think like, well, okay, I'm not having suicidal thoughts. Cause that is one of like the symptoms that can show up it is not like necessary for Mm -hmm. someone to experience suicidal thoughts and to experience perinatal depression. Mm -hmm. You're usually, you know, sad, irritable. You might be more lethargic or tired. You might feel like you're having more feelings of hopelessness. Like things are not going to necessarily get better. And what we're looking at again is like sleep deprivation can be a big trigger here. So we want to also be paying attention to that as well. But again, you want to look at onset duration and severity, and that's kind of how you determine whether it's baby blues, or postpartum depression.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'll say too, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I think (laughs) that honestly, one of the biggest symptoms is just, you know, in your head that like something just isn't right. Yes. You know, regardless (laughs) of if you're a few days, you know, postpartum or a few weeks, you know, obviously you're right if it's happening a few weeks down the road after that baby blues time had has passed, but that's usually when I'm getting these DMs from moms like saying, "Am I having baby bl-? Usually, when you're asking that question, there's something going on.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. so glad you said that. Yeah, I'm so so <laughs> glad you said that because that is actually one of mom the intuition. Biggest, right? <laughs> one of the biggest things that people will come to me saying, but it's actually one of the things I remember saying to my husband. Yeah, it was a few months in. It was like maybe I was month four. And I just was like nursing and I was like, I don't feel like myself. I
1: don't feel right. Exactly. And
0: he was like, he didn't know what to do. And I was like, I just don't feel like myself. It's like, I don't know who I am. I feel like a shell of a person almost. And that's when I should have known, but often we don't know until we're past that point. And it's really hard. So it's good to also like let the people around you and your support people know like what to look out for, because personally for myself, I almost didn't know what I was experiencing until I was 18 months postpartum. And I thought, wow, I've really gone through that. I feel so much better. That was a dark time. And often a lot of parents will realize that too. It's like, I don't know when I'm in it. I will know, you know, when I'm on the other side. So it's so important for, our support people when even during pregnancy to know like, okay, this is what I need to look out for. Mm -hmm. This is what I need to be paying attention to. Mm
1: -hmm. Good point. Very good point. And also I know my therapist has told me this, like, it's okay for your support people, as long as it's okay with you. And I'm sure any therapist would agree if your support person wants to come, you know, in and share their experiences in one of your sessions, like my therapist always encouraged that. So Mm -hmm. that's also, no,
0: absolutely. And it's so different when we do this work. So like sometimes when you see people individually, you might not want to invite people into therapy. But in this scenario, when we're working with new moms, particularly, I always invite, like if your partner wants to come and chat or we want, it's so important because it's like a different, we're at a different ballgame. We're like the village matters, right? Right. We need to know who these people are, their experiences. And that's definitely a great point. Good therapist. You had a great therapist.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I love her. Her Thanks, Amy. Hey, shout out to Amy. (laughs) All right. So let's wrap up with some questions just about, you know, general mental health in general. So this mom says, How do I come to terms with the fact that I might need or I might greatly benefit from medication? Maybe it's just like that medication shame. Yes. (laughs) Sad. I wish that was not a thing. I know. And you know,
0: this is what makes me really think (laughs) about.
1: It's right here. Oh no, it really the really empty one. Me... There they are. <laughs> that one's not gonna do anything. No one's not gonna do anything. No.
0: <laughs> this question really makes me think about, you know, what we would do if our doctor said, Hey, you need a medication for your blood pressure. Your blood pressure is yeah. off the charts, and I need you to get on this medication. And I wonder, like, what is the difference if you need a medication for your physical health versus your mental health? Right. And when we think about like the science of why we might be experiencing a mental health condition, and if our brain is wired in a way where it's not producing enough of a neurochemical and the medication is going to help us to get where we need to be to feel better. Why does that make this experience different? And when we really look at that from that perspective and the lens of like science, like, okay, something is off in my body. This medication is going to help to produce that in my body so that I can feel better. No matter if it's my blood pressure, if it's my blood sugar or yeah. if it's my mental health. Yeah. This is where it's like something is not firing correctly in my brain that's making me feel this way. So why wouldn't I help myself if I could? And that goes back to the stigma. And we really have to unravel the stigma of mental health conditions and how it's portrayed. You know, what are the things that we see in our environment that are making this more challenging? And I know this is hard. And I think the one good thing about, you know, social media and media in general is that I think we're doing some work to destigmatize mental health conditions. I think, you know, we're talking about it so much more than we ever have then, And I think the conversations need to continue to happen in order for us to continue to feel better about this. So that's like, the first thing is unraveling those, you know, the stigma that we have. The second is talking about like risk versus risk. Mm-hmm. Anytime we talk about medication, we always want to think of like, okay, what is the risk of me taking this medication? If there's any. Mm-hmm. First, what's the risk of me not taking this medication? And we often talk about this with pregnant women. You know, it's like, they're so wound up. Like, I don't want to take a medication that can be toxic to my child. And honestly, a lot of the medications for like perinatal depression have been researched for quite a long time and they're really low risk. So when moms will come in and say that, we're thinking like, okay, what is the risk of, yes, maybe you taking this medication versus what is the risk of you to continue to feel depressed? And what risk does that pose on your baby in utero? So we really want to be thinking of it from that perspective, that there's always going to be a risk in life with whatever we do. We just have to figure out which risk am I willing to live with, which one will be you know tolerable for me. What is the risk of me to continue to have depression or anxiety? Yeah. Like my life is not going to be what I want. it. I'm not going to show up as the mom that I want to be. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be, you know, miserable with my relationships. It's like, how is this going to play out? And there's still a risk there. So yeah. that's, that's like where I want people to start thinking about that from that perspective.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. That's a good, good tip. So this next question is about partners. So she says, what if my partner is the one who is having these mental health challenges after baby's birth? Is that even a thing? It is. Right? It is.
0: (laughs) This question honestly comes up every time I do a Q&A.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I get this one a
0: lot too. It's a good one. And I'm so glad that people are asking this question because there's, again, another layer of shame and that goes along with partners experiencing any of the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders because we're like, well, how could they possibly have that they're not having you know they're they didn't not having, go having through any
1: it. hormones and yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: but research is finding that they do have some shifts in hormones even though they're not carrying the baby and there is so much at play when we think about how is their life changing obviously we our mental health will shift when we're going through major life changes so 10 percent right. The research that's been done has been done on fathers. And what they have found is that 10% of fathers will also experience depression postpartum. And they're at increased risk if mom is also experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. So, and their depression might look different. It's going to be, you know, maybe more irritable. It might be more disconnected. They might be more into their hobbies or just kind of want to like, I want to flee. Like, this is a lot. They might also rely heavily on substances or addictive behaviors to cope. And so we see it as like, oh, you're, you know, you're disconnected. You don't care. But really, we need to be paying attention to like, what has shifted here? Is there something else at play? Are they experiencing, you know, depression or anxiety or something else? Are they also experiencing intrusive thoughts? Because like we said, it's both parents. It's not just moms that are experiencing this. Yeah. So really looking into that and I will say again I'm I'm not like an ambassador for postpartum support international but I love the work they do. So you should they, be, right? I you know what? It's hopefully in the works Send them here. an email. <laughs> i am done. I'm already done. That. It's an incredible resources for dads and partners. And it includes like monthly calls, they have support groups that are free. They also have like a robust directory of providers. So it's not just for, you know, moms, that's what people think. There's resources for the entire family. And I would highly encourage partners to check that out so that they can learn more about it, learn um, what the research has to say, but get connected with support.
1: Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Well, one last question, and this one's a little bit of a loaded question, but this one is, do you have any thoughts or suggestions about how we can bridge that gap between healthcare providers and mental health services, both in pregnancy and postpartum? Tough one
0: do I have ideas? Yeah, sure. Yes, I have a million ideas.
1: <laughs> I have a million ideas. I love it.
0: Mr. <laughs> this, this is like, honestly, I have this on my board, like on my vision board of things I want to do is like to increase awareness, yeah. but also education yeah. for healthcare providers as it relates to the care of women throughout this journey and families, not just, uh, not just women, but yes. So I believe strongly that there is a place for mental health care providers. It like, in all aspects of prenatal and postpartum yeah. care. And I think that there's this model of healthcare that I was really looking into when I was in graduate school that I actually worked in the healthcare system in the hospital where we did integrated healthcare, where there's a hospital, I mean, where there's a psychologist usually or a mental healthcare professional that was part of the team. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking about every clinic. So you think about like OB clinics, you're thinking about at the at the hospital, you're thinking at the pediatrician's office, they're there. Yeah. There's a mental health care provider already there. And what's happening is that healthcare providers would screen every single patient that's coming through, every parent that's coming through. And then when something is off with that screening, they are meeting with the mental health care provider. They're just, you know, the mental, they're right then and there, right that same day, that same time that they're in their appointment. So this means that healthcare providers need to become experts in screening. They need to really learn the screening tools. They need to learn how to interpret them, how to administer them, You know who can do all these things, what to be looking for, and what follow-up questions to ask. But if, yeah, if they're not wanting to do that, obviously having a mental health care provider do the screening in their clinic. So I think that you know, as many follow-ups as we have at that pediatrician's office, those are opportunities and they're often they're missed opportunities to really check in on new parents going through this life-changing experience. So I think there's more education with all healthcare providers. And often they will say, it's the same thing that I said. I wasn't trained in perinatal mental health. There wasn't like a specialty in this. Like they didn't talk about how this can impact mental health. So like for all healthcare providers to have that education base, especially if they're working with parents, Mm -hmm. new parents, and to be screening and to be connected with the resources so that we're not having all of these unreported cases of you know, mental health conditions, perinatal mental health conditions. I think it's really important to work as a team and to have the education and the resources. And I think yeah, it's a missed opportunity in so so many cases. Yeah,
1: There needs to be a lot more coordination of care. And it's not an easy fix, obviously. Like these things take time to really like integrate into our healthcare system. I mean, I've talked about this before, I think on my podcast, but I know I've talked about it on other podcasts before, how my wish is similar to yours to where we're integrating birth education into this prenatal care where like everyone goes through a birth course during their prenatal core. It's not just, you know, like, okay, yeah, if you want to take a birth course, you can take it, over, you know, this, that, and the other. It's like, it's integrated into your care. And I wish that nutrition was integrate, you know, seeing a nutritionist was integrated into your prenatal care. I wish that seeing, you know, a therapist or a psychiatry was integrated into your prenatal care, all these things. Like, I wish, can we just like all talk to each other and like all just like, let's mm-hmm. just, eh, yeah, I know. I'm mm-hmm. getting it.
0: So I recently went in for my annual exam and the, <laughs> the provider asked me what I did. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Like I always, yeah. I'm always like, what do yeah. I do? I am a, you know, I'm a perinatal psychologist. That's what I do. And she's like, well, Oh, what's that? And I like, it's much like, I didn't even know that was a yeah. thing. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, no, lovely lady, lovely provider. She didn't have a clue that there was like a whole subset of like a m- mental health specialty focused on perinatal mental health. And that's, that's scary. scary, right? Totally. Totally. So that all of the people that are going through the door of this practice, which is a lovely practice. Like I have, I've never had an yeah. issue, but they wouldn't know how to support people that are going through a mental health crisis, no. honestly, or even just not feeling like themselves. No. And often it's like, well, let me see if I can find referrals. And it's like, that's like a really reactive approach to something that should be very proactive. Right.
1: Right. And a lot of times there's what we're talking about. There's there's this gap, you know, like, okay, we're referring out, but then how many people though, do you think get that referral? And then they don't even do anything with it. So many, right? A large percentage. It's sad. Mm -hmm. I know. It's crazy. Well, Dr. Reem, this was a fabulous episode. Thank you so much for joining me again on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. Can you remind our listeners where they can find you on social media?
0: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I loved this conversation. I am psyched mommy on pretty much every single platform, and that's P S Y C H E D mommy M O M M Y. On, like I said, every social media platform, my website is psychedmommy.com. You can email at hello at psychedmommy.com. We're psyched mommy everywhere. So just, and my blog, like I said, has articles on pretty much every single topic we describe in great detail. With links to a lot of the resources I brought up. So that's where you can find love me.
1: it. Thank you so much. This was just so great to chat with you today. Thank you. Alright, guys that wraps up this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey it is truly an honor if you like what you heard don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast so if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show what do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.